Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 171, week 171, volume 171, number fucking 171. How you going guys, how's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. This week's guest is Johnny of Carcosa and also of Angel Maker and that will be coming up later in the show. Let's start things off with feedback, questions, what's been going on. Heard from one of our listeners, Lockie, this week, just asking, what's the go with the Mosh Zone guest playlist? Well, shit, Lockie, I am sorry I forgot to update the playlist. Unfortunately, in the chaos of everything that's been going on, I haven't been updating it frequently enough. So for anyone listening who doesn't know, on Spotify, you'll find a playlist called the Mosh Zone Guest List. In there are tracks from all of the guests that have been on the show. So don't worry, Lockie, I'm going to get back on top of that. It will be completely updated this week, and I'll be making sure each week I keep it further updated. Thank you for getting in touch, Lockie. Thank you for jogging my memory. And as always, thank you for supporting the show. So enough of the ramblings. Let's get into the main part of the show. This week, I got to sit down with Johnny of Carcosa and also of Angel Maker. First thing I got to say, thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. So who are Carcosa? For those uneducated or unaware, they're a band that formed around 2019-2020. They formed out of the ashes of a band that was called Galactic Pegasus. So far, Carcosa have one EP, and they've got an outstanding album on the way, titled Anthology, which sees its release August 19th. Style-wise, this band is death to the fucking core but outstanding death to the fucking core. This band is one of those bands that, you know, if you like that style or you kind of dabble with that style, you need to get into this band. You need to support this band. But this band is one of the few hot deathcore bands going around. They need to be considered when you think of the current blend and trend of deathcore. I'm a big, big fucking fan of this band, and I can see big fucking things on the horizon for them as well. Johnny was an outstanding guest, lots of fun, really relaxed. I enjoyed every single fucking moment. I hope you do too. That chat with Johnny is coming up now. So, you know, everyone gets the start-off question, which is the same, and that is... Not a heavy band when I'm talking about this, but do you remember discovering music and becoming obsessed with music for something in your early years? So my example was five years old, don't know why, but Aerosmith was my jam and only Aerosmith. Mm. Was there a band for you early on that you became obsessed with? Yeah, I mean, um, my mom listened to a lot of really cool music growing up, like, um, you know, early like you know classic rock era kind of stuff so i was um exposed to a lot of really different music right off the bat but the first artist i was like really obsessed with was stevie ray vaughn um so like huge blues guy like i love stevie ray vaughn and double trouble like that record specifically this guy's crying like i just loved the um the like sad melancholy 
uh, sound of blues where like a minor blues, like I just, I love it. And like his guitar playing was just insane. So it kind of like made me love, you know, singing. And it also made me love guitar playing at the same time because he was so good at both. So yeah, I would say Stevie Ray. And then also uh, the Gypsy Kings. I listened to a lot of Gypsy Kings as a kid growing up. So like flamenco style Spanish uh, guitar music as well. Fuck yeah. So, I mean, you know, you are obviously a multi-talented musician. You know, you dabble in a bit of everything. You've done bass, you've done guitar and Mm -hmm. and vocals. But where did you start in that process? And do you remember a reason that that's where you wanted to start? Yeah, I mean, I I, I say this to a lot of people. Like vocals is kind of like... I would say the newest thing mm-hmm. in my tool bag, we'll, we'll call it that. Um, I started off as a guitar player first and foremost. And I think like as a kid, I listened to um, a Canadian band that was really popular over here called Billy Talent. And mm-hmm. like the guitar playing of Billy Talent is crazy. So I was like, I don't even get how this is being made. I don't understand it. But my real introduction to learning basic guitar, like power chords and stuff, was Green Day because, like, I was coming up around the American Idiot era of Green Day. So I was like, well, this is way easier to play than Billy Talent. It's power chords. So I got that. Um, So, yeah, it was a lot of Green Day that really got me into playing guitar. And then what got me into more technical or, like, you know, soloing and shredding was um, Van Halen. Mm. Um, like Van Halen, like the self-titled Van Halen record. And then I remember for Christmas one year, I got 1984. Mm. And then I started just jamming, you know, Hot for Teacher, just practice. That's how I learned how to tap. I think that's how everybody learned how to tap in the (laughs) early days was just like, you know, doing Eruption or Hot for Teacher or something like that. So, yeah, that was kind of like the beginning of my uh, instrumental obsession, I guess, with the guitar specifically. Um, Everything else, like... (laughs) like why I started playing bass was kind of an accident. And I feel like that's the case for most people. Um, When I went to music school, I brought a bass with me, Mm -hmm. but I'm a guitar major. So like my primary instrument was playing guitar, but uh, there was like performance majors as well. And they needed to have like a year end recital and they had to build a band with, you know, bass player, drummer, everybody and bass players were a dime a dozen there was only a few and this uh one girl that was uh going to school with me was like hey you have a bass do you want to play bass in my band and i was like oh i haven't before but i'll do it (laughs) and that was the beginning of the end for me i started playing bass all the time after that because people were like you play bass well play in my band play in my band bass players get a ton of work man i i did it for a really long time i played um bass in a country band for eight years and it was crazy. Like, it was, country music is nuts, man. Like, I don't really necessarily like, like, modern country music. But, man, those guys can play. Like, all those Nashville guys, the session guys, like, that was, like, a really fun part of my career was playing with, like, players like that. It builds your chops, like, right away. So I got forced into playing bass, and then I, you know, was okay with it. But it kind of got to a point where I didn't want to do it anymore. <laughs> um, saying, yeah. Can I please not? Can I please not? Yeah. Can I not do this anymore? Like, please. Like, I don't love it enough. Um, but I, it got me a lot of work, so I can't really complain, I guess. One thing you know, I noticed about you saying about your early musical discovery is, and it's refreshing, it, it's quite diverse. And obviously, mm. growing up, 
were you just open to any style of music or was there music that you, apart from obviously country, as you mentioned, but were there certain styles of music you weren't wanting to gravitate towards or were you really open to anything as long as you felt the emotion and vibe of it? Yeah, I I felt like uh, growing up, like I was saying, my mom introduced me a lot of really cool music and it made me more open-minded. And she also never deterred me from listening to anything else. Like when I started listening to metal, she wasn't like, oh, can't do that. That's scary music. Like she was just like, I don't know, like do whatever you want. If you like it, just do it. So I always just like, I was just more based off of vibes. Mm -hmm. Like if the song gave me good vibes, if I liked how it made me feel, I would listen to it. I really, I don't believe in like guilty pleasures. I just Mm -hmm. like, like music for what it is. I don't, I, it drives me nuts when people are like, oh, you like that, you know, you're stupid or like, that's dumb. It's like, well, no, it's what people like. Everything is subjective. It's art. Like Mm -hmm. just because you don't like it doesn't mean somebody else can't. That's what drives me crazy. But yeah, I grew up listening to everything, man. I, I love all kinds of music. It's just like, um, and I think it adds to, you know, for modern day now writing music for Carcosa and Angel Maker a unique flair where it doesn't feel like a copy and paste of just listening to metal only you know like yeah i'll add in like you know film score style music with like complex chord changes in a deathcore song that you know maybe some people who don't listen to that kind of music wouldn't do but you know i just like to listen to everything yeah it. it allows you to be open um, and diverse. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I also find it funny when anyone says that they only listen to metal um, or they've only ever liked metal because it's like, well, well, you haven't only ever liked metal. I mean, nobody at the age of like six suddenly is like, yeah, fucking Slayer, love it. This is my jam. <laughs> it's like, no. The, like, the rare breeds. I mean, are you, you're talking to Andrew, right? You're going to be yeah, talking to Andrew? Yeah. Yeah. So he's the opposite of me where he really? is like that, where he only listened to metal and still does. Wow. So you're going to get his perspective on that, which is going to be interesting. Well, I think, you know, it, he will be the first that I've ever heard that um, and it being a thing. One thing you mentioned is when you started getting into metal, was there your gateway band? And was it, you know, listeners know this is probably a reality. Was it a new metal band? Because for a lot of people, it was. In that era that I was growing up, like I'm a 94 baby. So mm-hmm. in 2005, I was in grade five. Um, and that would have been like, you know, the new metal renaissance is kind of in that time, like the the birth of it. So I remember very distinctly li- hearing like a metal band for the first time. And uh, in Canada, we had this thing called Much Music. And they had a uh, every Friday at 11 o'clock at night, they had this thing called Much Loud, which was basically just alternative and heavy music. And it was like an hour long. And I remember staying up late one night and um, before I forget by Slipknot came on and I was like, holy fuck, like this is wild. I was like, this is like heavy music and there's also singing in it too. Like I didn't know that was possible. And after that, I listened to Slipknot, but then I was like, well, how crazy does this stuff get? Like this is singing, but does it do crazier stuff? And then I was like, holy shit, Cannibal Corpse exists. (laughs) And I started, I, I started with death metal and like tech tech death and then i kind of started going to metalcore mm-hmm. and then i found deathcore and then i was all over the fucking place <laughs> but like yeah i started like right after slipknot i was like all right cannibal corpse like vital remains deicide like all the traditional death metal bands and then i discovered kill switch engage with like howard jones and i was like oh my god this is angelic and then i kind of like 
fell in love with both. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, no, nah, only tech death. Like I'm not a traditionalist, I would say. Um, yeah, so that was kind of it. I would say, yeah, Slipknot was my my gateway band into heavy music, and then just like a myriad of other ones started to fill my ears. Yeah, you, you're probably also starting to get into deathcore at the time when deathcore was really booming too. I mean, it's oh, yeah. it's quite, you know, without jumping too far forward, that deathcore went through that boom, then it became an ugly word. For for some mm-hmm. weird reason, it was like new metal, became an ugly word. Nobody wanted to be associated as a deathcore band. But now, bands like yourselves, it's now a resurgent again. It's become, you know, exciting again, and people aren't afraid to, to use that. So you've seen it probably the whole time through and have you always have you always been into that style even when it kind of dissipated out and we were finding very few bands playing it oh yeah a hundred percent yeah like i um i started in the og original era of deathcore so i was always going to be a a diehard fan like i uh i had my own myspace page where i uploaded all my original deathcore songs as a kid and like they all sounded like farts but i did it (laughs) But, like, I followed so many bands from that era, like early Whitechapel, like their Smack Defilement EP uploaded on there in, like, 2007, 2008, and, like, you know, Carnifex, like, way back in the day. Like, the first piece of band merch I ever bought was a, a Whitechapel shirt from the MySpace. So I, like, grew up in that era and absolutely just worshipped it for a really long time. It was, like, a beautiful combination of the death metal that I listened to and then my introduction into breakdowns Mm. like the only real breakdown and or groove stuff that I had heard before that was like Lamb of God and Pantera so like hearing it in this way I was like holy shit these vocals are insane I've never heard anybody do this before so I kind of stuck with deathcore all the way through even through the you know the bad times when you know like you said it became a bad word for some reason and then a lot of bands started to transition mostly into that was like the new wave of tech death so mm-hmm. like planetary duality came out then for the faceless and um you know jaw for a cowboy wasn't a deathcore band anymore they were writing technical metal and like then that was the thing it was those bands i loved both i was like hell yeah but it became like a bad thing to be mm-hmm. a deathcore band and then it just like was silent for a really long time which is too bad because there were some awesome records that came out in that time, like Insurrection by uh, Molotov Solution came out in that time too. And yeah, I don't know. It's too bad, but I'm glad, I'm glad it's back. And I think there's a lot of reasons that attribute to why it's back. But Yeah. I mean, we'll come, come to that, but bands like yourselves, um, well, two of the bands that you're in, um, Angel Maker and Carcosa are definitely part of the reason. And then you got fellow Canadians, uh, Brand of Sacrifice as well. You I mean, these, these, these music that you guys are all putting out is part of the why. It's vibrant, it's fresh, it's exciting, and it's just mm-hmm. heavy as fuck. So that helps. Um, True. Want to come back to, you know, you mentioned with the bass, you mentioned like musical school or like, you mm-hmm. know, study. So in your high school years, was it sounds like clearly music was the only path you were looking at. You weren't looking at anything else, and that was your only drive and determination. I would say yes and no. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school and like growing up as a Canadian kid, I played hockey my entire life. So what I wanted to do was be a hockey player. Like I got, you can't see, I have goalie pads back here that I'm selling. Um, but I was a goalie forever. And that was like what I wanted to do. I was like, I'm going to, I want to go to college and play goalie and move on and try and do that whole grind. 
but that grind, you know, like music is a really hard one to get into if you want to do it professionally. It's a lot of years of not making money. And then when you do make money, it's very minimal. So for me, music was always um, like the side piece. Like I did it more as a hobby growing up and it was a big interest and I really, really enjoyed it. But hockey was like my main focus until I got to college and I started studying music and I realized, okay, like I'm going to have to, you know, not do hockey anymore because I think I could maybe make it as a musician, you know, getting more work and all that kind of stuff and really being fully immersed in the music scene. Like, you know, music school was great because I got to work with these professors who did music full time. And I finally understood that like, it can be a lucrative thing. You just have to work your ass off. So music really became a 10 out of 10 passion for me when I went to college. Um, but before that, it was just like, you know, my side thing. That's quite, it, but it, you know, like you're saying, you have to really grind at it to make it a thing. But then in, in many senses, what you're saying about hockey also can translate to music as well. You know, a lot of it is mm-hmm. spending time not making any money or just cutting even. So basically from an offset, whichever path you took, you were going to work hard at it. Now is work, oh yeah, is working hard at it something that, you know, not everyone can do it. Not everyone can commit to it, but it is, was it something that was ingrained with you as a kid or is it something you've adapted and learned to do as you got older? Um, I think my work ethic came from playing sports. Mm-hmm. Um, like if I wanted to make a good team, if I wanted to go further in what I was doing, I had to work hard mm-hmm. no matter what, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't get the, uh, the benefit of the inner politics of sports or whatever, where my parents were rich and they could just pay me all the way through to all the good teams. I had to work hard. Like I'm not very tall. I'm pretty short. So as a goalie in Canada being short, like you're already kind of looked at as like not good because of your height. So I had to work hard to even get noticed because of my height and everything. So I always kind of felt like I was against the grain and I was like the alternative person trying to like, you know, run uphill Like, I remember, too, like, when I was talking to scouts when I was a kid playing hockey, I had really long hair, and, like, I had a beard, and I had, you know, metal T-shirts on, and my, like, scouts would be like, we're not taking you because of how you look and all of this stuff, which isn't a thing anymore, but back in the day, it was. And that pissed me off, but it made me want to work harder. A lot Mm. of it in my journey has been, like, trying to prove people wrong. So that is like a huge motivation for me is like, okay, you, you think I can't do it? Well, I'm going to show you that I can. <laughs> so that's something that's been ingrained in me for like, you know, a really long time. So I think it translates to music as well. Yeah, I think it does perfectly. And you love to see a band that does or an artist or a person who is grinding at it in music, you know, who anyone in any aspect of the life knows it's not always smooth sailing. So if you're able to keep pursuing with it, um, the success and what you see people like yourselves now starting to reap the rewards for is, it's a great story unto itself. Um, yeah, for sure. What about local scenes? You know, when did you start noticing that there was, you know, live shows around you and did you kind of immerse yourself into that scene to network? Because networking is always important um, for young kids or young musicians. So what was the local scene for you like growing up? So where I am from originally is a really small town in the interior of British Columbia. Uh, It's about four hours away from Vancouver. It's called Penticton. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically there was no scene whatsoever there especially not a metal scene like not a fucking chance like 
the first show I ever saw in my life was Fallen Archaea in a little local church in Penticton. That was the first time I've ever seen a live show and it happened to be a metal show. And I was like, whoa, this is wild. And I wish that there was more of that in my local scene, but there wasn't. So I went to music school and that's kind of where my uh, networking began right off the bat is I started to meet people who were like-minded like me, where they listened to metal and alternative music and they wanted to play in bands and play shows where in Penticton, I mean, I was like the only metal kid in my high school. Like no, I, I, people thought I was a Satanist and all this, right? <laughs> like they didn't see me as like a, a normal guy. I was like a scary dude that listened to heavy music. And nobody else did. So I was like, well, this is kind of a bummer. Like I didn't start seeing shows until I moved to Vancouver after college. So um, yeah, I went to college. I met people. I networked, started playing in bands. And then right after college, I moved directly to Vancouver. And um, before I moved to Vancouver, I looked up bands that were in the scene here, like who was doing what. And I came across three bands. One of them was Galactic Pegasus. The second one was Dawning the Inferno. And the other one was Angel Maker. Mm. And I was like, oh, those are cool bands. I hope I get to go see them one day. Like, be cool to go see them play a show <laughs> or something, right? So that's how I found out about the Vancouver scene. And then I uh, basically just inserted myself into it. And now I'm here. <laughs> so, And it's quite, you know, obviously you started off by eventually joining Galactic. And, you know, how did that come about? You know, it's got to be exciting for you at the time that you one of the bands you're obsessed with and loved you got to join so how did that link up mm. come about well it uh it ended up happening i think how a lot of people end up finding about finding out about galactic pegasus was through andrew's uh youtube channel mm -hmm. and um i had been following andrew on facebook and youtube for a bit before um i moved there and then you know i kept an eye on everything in the socials and stuff and i remember he he posted a saying like, I'm, I want to make a, a deathcore cover of Uptown Funk. And I sent him a DM and I was like, hey, man, I actually already did that. And I sent him like my version. He's like, oh, cool, whatever. And I had noticed that uh, Galactic Pegasus had parted ways with their old bass player. And I was playing bass at the time. So I was like, hey, by the way, if you need a bass player, I am available. I play this style of music, blah, 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 blah. And he was like, all right, cool, whatever. And then I guess he, he'll he probably tell you more when you talk to him, but he talked it over with the band, and he's like, all right, here, just, like, play this song or whatever. And I learned the song really quick. And and then that's how I ended up joining is just, like, a little audition video. I, I came to practice. I'd already learned the whole Pariah EP, so we played through the whole EP right away, and they were like, all right, I guess this guy knows what he's doing. So that's kind of how that ended up happening. It was pretty fucking crazy because it all happened like, you know, within months of me moving to Vancouver. I was just like, well, I want to be a part of this, so I guess I'm just going to make it happen. Yeah, it's also got to be pretty uh, exciting. Like, was there a sense of, you know, were you putting a, internal pressure on yourself to uh, to make sure you didn't fuck it up in many many senses of the word? Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I learned, like, as much of the discography as I possibly could to prove that I was like ready to do it. And I, you know, was very into the idea of playing in the band. I was like, I learned your EP. I'll learn your new shit. Like you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Like, that's kind of just how I was. I was definitely like, um, I was a yes man for definitely the first three years living in Vancouver. I said yes to everything. And I didn't say no to anything. 
which was great, but it also became shitty by the end of it. But I'm still glad I did it, and it worked out, obviously. So, Well, yeah, you, you learn a lot of things along the way. But, I mean, when you're coming into Galactic, as you said, you're coming in as a bass player, and you didn't finish as the bass player. So mm-hmm. how long into it did you start thinking, oh, I don't really want to keep doing this? Because you mentioned bass really wasn't your thing. You just kind of fell into it. So... How long into mm-hmm. Galactic did you kind of say to Andrew, you know, maybe it's the time for me to switch? Well, I was kind of just like really discovering how to do vocals at the time when I first joined. It wasn't like, you know, I didn't perfect it. I didn't really know what I was doing technique wise. I was mostly singing, not screaming. Um, so when I was working on songs for uh, Galactic and I was working with our uh, ex-vocalist at the time, I started to really get a groove for it and like figure out like how to write songs on my own and then think with vocals in mind, like, okay, I'm not going to write crazy stuff here because there's going to be vocals here. So I started to think about vocals in that way, which I didn't before uh, because I was working with another vocalist. So I did like a lot of clean vocals and stuff for GP in the early days. And then we started having issues with our vocalist and uh, it was starting to get shitty and we had discussed, you know, with the other members like, okay, maybe this isn't a good idea. We should maybe part ways with him. And we were writing an EP at the time that was really heavy and different from past galactic material. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to take a shot at this and just try and write vocals for it. And I ended up just writing the whole EP within two days and I sent it to the crew and I was like, hey, like I did these vocals. What do you think? And they were like, well, what the fuck? Like, this is dope. So I just kind of like, all right, we're kicking the other guy out and I'm doing vocals now. We're backtracking bass, baby. Like, that's what we're doing. And I was like, thank God. <laughs> thank God I don't have to do that anymore. But it was also a huge transition for me because I had never done heavy vocals live. So I had to basically relearn everything I was doing. Because um, before it was just like a studio sense like this, which is a lot easier in my opinion. Live, I have to be a showman. I have to be a front man. I got to move around. I got to be entertaining. And then also be good at what I'm doing. Mm. So that was like another challenge for me as well. But uh, yeah, it's it was a good one. I just dove headfirst into doing vocals for the band. And yeah, it just kind of started to go up from there. Yeah, and your vocals, it's wild to think, you know, you kind of, by what it, what it sounds like is in many ways you kind of self-taught yourself and self-learned. But you look at your vocals and it's like, pff, like, fuck. Like, dude, uh, mm. you are at the point where a lot of people now are probably looking at and going, he's doing what I want to do. And part of that is because you also had, you well, an extensive vocal cover presence on YouTube. You know, you've got that thing going yeah. as well. So mm-hmm. at any stage, did you have to actually do some homework or was a lot of it, as I said, self-taught? Did you just kind of see what worked, what didn't work, what hurt, what didn't hurt? Yeah, so for the most part, especially my screaming vocals, 100% self-taught for a long time. I would probably say, like, I've been doing it for maybe six, seven years. Mm -hmm. And the first four years, I was just fucking winging it. Like, I was just figuring out weird voices with my mouth, emulating other people's vocals, trying to copy what they were doing to make those sounds. Um, But for singing specifically, I mean, when I went to music school, I had to do um, ear training classes, Mm -hmm. which means I had to wake up every morning, seven o'clock and just start singing. basically had to learn how to sight read and sing scales and modes and stuff. 
So I was surrounded by vocalists and amazing teachers and my girlfriend as well is a really well-trained vocalist. So I learned all of those, you know, proper singing techniques from them and going to school. So I had that little bit of knowledge in there. I just had to try and figure out a way to make it translate to metal. And I took a long time figuring that out. So like when I moved to Vancouver and I was studying, you know, extreme styles of vocals, I was looking at like Melissa Cross and, and like the OGs that were really teaching like fry style vocals, which is what I found out I did more than anything. And then as time went on too, I started watching like Andy Sizek had really good uh, lessons on how to scream and all of that kind of stuff. So I kind of just kept learning from people. And then the more I got in the scene, I started from my peers and yeah, it was just kind of like a big melting pot. But yeah, for the most part, I mean, over half of my screaming career was self-taught. What about nowadays, you know, with your vocals, you know, with recording music as an example, like a lot of people around the time of recording or writing music have certain influences or inspirations that are going on. Nowadays, are you someone that is paying attention to unique styles and unique sounds that are going on in any aspect of the heavy scene? Or are you pretty particular on the styles that you're looking at and paying attention to? I try, I mean, I listen to every new band that comes out. I try my best to listen to everything and hear what everyone is doing. And like try and, you know, weed out, you know, the needles in the haystack. Who are the people who are doing really crazy, unique stuff? And I mean, um, Travis Ryan, I think is his name from Cattle Decap. Mm -hmm. Back in the day, he was really like the, like the godfather, the forefather of doing like the zombie style vocals. And then after that, everybody kind of started doing it. But like Dickie Allen really perfected it. And you can tell that now because everybody wants to be Dickie Allen. Everyone's doing what Dickie Allen is doing. Um, so I always just kept tabs on that, but I also, you know, wanted to listen to other styles of music like we were talking before and try and gain influence from that and like incorporate, you know, different kind of singing techniques and screaming techniques and kind of just create my own unique style to the best of my ability um, whilst retaining, you know, information from other bands that I was listening to, to, if you want to call it stay current, then yeah, sure. Staying current, but you know, I don't want to copy other people. I want to try and like have my own unique voice to the best of my ability. So I, that's something I'm always working on. Like with every new thing we release, I'm trying to think of like, what crazy shit can I do here? Like, how should I make this interesting? Because I mean, I won't say particular bands, but there are some bands where the vocals are pretty just like one tonal linear and I'm kind of bored. Like mm -hmm. I want to be interested, like show some versatility. What else can you do? Like you can do that one thing really well and that's awesome if it works for you. But like, I like hearing variety. I want to hear more than just like gutturals, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's something I strive towards, you know, listening to everybody else taking notes. Yeah, and, and I think what you're saying about a bit of creativity and diversity in your style of music and pushing the envelope, I think is important, like you said, because uh, some listeners maybe don't notice it, but you don't want to sound the same as everyone else. You don't want to be just pushing out the same thing. And also, there's got to be a challenge in that, that you're constantly trying to keep on top of it and keep progressing because that can be challenging unto itself as well. Exactly. It's it's quite a challenging thing. Now let's come back to a bit of galactic. Um, yep. You know, as an Aussie going into looking back at galactic, 
you guys, and I don't mean it in an insulting way, but you were like a local band. You were just like trudging out the local scene, playing with some great shows, but you guys really didn't look like you got far outside of that bloody Canadian border. Um, nope. Yeah. So what? What? looking back with hindsight, what was going on? Because the music is good. Like It's good music. Phantom of the Hill, dys, uh, Dysphoria. Um, yeah, there's some quality stuff there, but what was holding you back? There was like, oh man, there was a myriad of things that was going on with Galactic behind the scenes and stuff. Like before I joined the band, uh, when they released the Pariah EP, um, they did a tour with Black Tongue across Canada mm-hmm. and it was great. It, it, they, they had a good time and it was a blast. Um, but after that, um, some of the guys in the band just didn't want to tour. Like they kind of discovered they didn't like it, mm-hmm. they didn't like doing that. And that would have been at that time touring was a good idea for younger bands. It no longer really is. It's not like a necessity, but they decided not to do it. And um, that might've been a bit of a hindrance as well. They kind of, you know, didn't really grow too far outside of where we were. Like there definitely would have probably been opportunities to tour the States, but some people just didn't really want to do it. And it kind of like put them in a box, I guess you could say. Uh, which is fine. That's just what they wanted to do. But like also every single Galactic Pegasus release has a different vocalist on it. Mm. Like there was really no consistency. And I'm saying this out of love. I was in the band for like six years or whatever. And I like loved the music too before I was in it. But every single release had a different vocalist. So like the consistency and sound really started to affect, I think, the fan base because they were like, we don't know what we're getting. Every (laughs) record is fucking different, man. Like I don't get it. Like the first record that I did with them was Phantom of the Hill. And like, we all like hate that record. Like we don't like it. It didn't sound good to us. Like the production, like was a big fart. Like we all hated it and it really didn't do much for us. We signed with a label and it didn't really do anything for us either. So we were really, really not happy with the current state of the band. We did like small, you know, shows in Vancouver, but then they started getting smaller and smaller and less people would come. So we were like in a really bad place for a while until um, we ended up parting ways with our, our last vocalist. And then we did dysphoria because dysphoria, I mean, I I don't know if you listened to it, but it's more what Carcosa is now than GP ever was like, Mm. it's like a deathcore record and it's completely different from other GP stuff. So we were like, damn, like maybe this is what we should do because we started getting a more positive response from that than anything we had done in the past, you know, six years. So yeah, it was like member changes really hindered things. And then just like, you know, at the time wanting to just like not really tour and do anything, I think kind of like you can call it holding the band back or whatever, but it was like a personal choice that those guys made. And that's just how it is. We just tried to keep growing online. Like the online presence thing was something we focused on way more than playing shows was like, you know, Andrew and I were starting to do more covers and like kind of vicariously growing the brand through that. And it might not have paid off then, but I think it's kind of worked out now in the future. Um, But at the time, it was definitely like a deterrent for sure. Yeah, I think that it is a very smart avenue nowadays to have. You know, social media is one thing that bands like yourselves have had to adapt and learn how to use to their best abilities. But the avenue that you guys created, like yourself, maybe around Galactic wasn't really working. Maybe people Mm -hmm. didn't really understand it you now can see it's working. 
and mm-hmm. the persistence and the patience has paid off. But when Galactic, you know, wrapped up or broke up, um, yeah. was there a sense of any disappointment in the Canadian scene? Like, I mean, you know, in Canada, surely you guys must have had a little bit of groundswell and momentum amongst, amongst the fan base. So when you break up, was there a sense of, oh, damn, or was it a sense of, thank fuck, they're gone? I mean, what was it like? I feel like it was a mixture of both, honestly. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I think uh, in our local scene, like, especially, I don't want to talk too much shit, but like the vocalists we had before, when we kicked them out, people were like, thank God. Like, well, now we can come see you play shows. Like, that's <laughs> kind of the situation. And that, to us, was like, oh, fuck. Like, we've been fucking up for, like, five years. Like, <laughs> people haven't wanted to see us because of this reason or whatever. And I also think the style of music that we were playing in the Vancouver market just didn't work. Like, we were a, a progressive gent band, and Vancouver is mostly, like, a traditional death metal, tech death thrash scene. Like, Three Inches of Blood is from here. So, mm-hmm. like, that's, like the primary kind of sound that really flourishes in this city. And we were playing, you know, fucking zeros and breakdowns and not a lot of people liked it. And I mean, uh, Angel Maker can attest to the same thing. Like, it's the same thing. It's a deathcore thing, a deathcore city. So they, you know, do well in Vancouver as well, but it's not their A market, right? They mm-hmm. play other places and do way better. Um, but I think, like, when we had our new lineup with like Travis Cooper, Andrew and myself, people were more excited to see us. And then we're a bit more disappointed because we pulled the plug pretty quickly. Um, but you know, before that we knew that we were starting Carcosa mm. and we didn't tell anybody. So nobody knew that that was going to happen. We did. Nobody else did. So they were all like, Oh man, what are you guys going to do now? Like, cause we started liking you because your music is better. And we're like, oh, I don't know. I guess I have to wait and see. So, I mean, it's whatever. Uh, I think we were all like super happy to end that band. It like was just starting to get not fun. And, you know, they had a lot of good times and there was a lot of fun memories, but I don't think it was enough to keep it going. So, well, I mean, like you said, Carcosa was kind of brewing in the background and you mentioned Dysphoria was kind of like the style starting to bleed in. So, yeah. but like I was looking through because I always make sure I do my homework and make some notes. 2020 was the start of just hecticness um, for you and Andrew, but focusing on you, you know, you joined kind of like a hardcore rock band around 2019-ish, and you joined Angel Maker in 2020, and Carcosa is announced. Like, do you just like being constantly busy and having nothing going on? Like, you know. Yeah, man. Like, Fuck. (laughs) Like I just love being cre- I love being creative, man. I like having different avenues to do different things. Like uh, the other band that you're referencing is Bastion, mm-hmm. and like that was my outlet to do more metalcore style vocals, like do clean vocals and like write with a different writer where I'm not writing all the instrumentals, where somebody else is, and all I have to do is worry about writing lyrics and doing you know vocals, which was awesome. But yeah, I've always been ever since, especially since I moved to Vancouver. Like I was saying, I was a yes man, so I did work for. A bunch of bands like i was playing in gp i was filling in for a tech death band i was playing in a pop band i was doing country music and like just like a bunch of shit all at the same time till eventually it came to a head and i was like i actually don't like playing country music and i don't like trying to sell my soul and playing in a pop band it's not fun i feel more angry playing that kind of music even though i play an angry style of music but it's completely different excuse me um but uh 
Yeah, I love being busy, man. I love working on a bunch of stuff. Like I have like a pretty good workflow where I can balance everything pretty well. People ask me about that a lot. They're like, I don't get how you can do that. It's just like, I don't know, man. I just like to be busy. I love I like it. Right music. Yeah. Dude, I love it. Like, you know, the hustle never stops, man. The grind never stops. Um, and it also exactly. it also shows that, you know, you're a renaissance man. You've got skills in every pocket that you can use. And Angel Maker is an interesting one because you're the third guitarist in Angel Maker, joined in mm-hmm. mid-2020. And you obviously, yeah. as you've said earlier, you knew Angel Maker for a long time, you know, mates in the scene, one of the bands that you looked up to when you kind of got into the Vancouver scene. So sure. has that been an easy ad- ad- adaptive process for you coming into the Angel Maker camp? Yeah. I mean, I was already such good friends with those guys already. Um, the transition into joining Angel Maker felt really natural. I'd already been talking to Colton, uh, the primary songwriter for Angel Maker, about, like, you know, writing music with him anyways. Like, I did some guest vocal stuff on his side project called Black Clothes. And, uh, yeah, it just felt natural. And, like, I was, like, I was, like, a genuine massive fan of Angel Maker. I loved their music so much. And, like, I knew all of the songs already. So I was always, like, fantasizing, like, oh, how would I write an song you know like if i ever get that opportunity like what am i gonna do how am i gonna add myself into this already six piece band like how am i gonna make this work so when the opportunity came i was like hell yeah let's fucking go like let's do it it's it's different enough from carcosa where it will not bleed you Mm. know like it's carcosa sounds to me anyways completely different than angel maker does there's two different things going on like Angel Maker has more of an OG throwback style to the the birth of Deathcore, where Carcosa is more of like a modern take on what the sound is. So I can really divide my songwriting between the two. And uh, I already had reference material to work off of. So as soon as I joined Angel Maker, I just started pumping stuff out like right away. I just started writing immediately. And um, like I said, I already, you know, worked with those guys before and we were already really good friends. So it just felt natural, man. Like, just a, another homie sesh, but I'm also a part of the the puzzle now. Yeah, look, I mean, that's quite exciting. Carcos is exciting unto itself, but you being in Angel Maker is exciting. Um, you mm-hmm. know, i am been an Angel Maker fan since the, the first EP, and it cost me an arm and a leg to get the fucking CD sent over here. Um, oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's exciting, and it's exciting to, you know, there's been things about you guys writing and recording, so it's exciting to see when Angel Maker stuff comes be very exciting to see and also exciting to see this side project i put it in in uh with mike and and colton as well so oh yeah <laughs> that 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 i remember popping that sometimes yeah that popped up i remember on, on my instagram and i looked out and i was like what okay so that's exciting if that, if that even births that will be exciting as well so it will i promise you it will and you're gonna shit yourself it's gonna be wild man are you I'm guys excited for people to hear it? Are you guys doing Kenny Loggins covers Deathcore? <laughs> sure. Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> no, you'll you'll hear it. It's um, it's a big blend of just like the most extreme styles of music, and like, it's really exciting. I'm not going to talk about it too much, but mm-hmm. like the way uh, we're doing this like release for this slant, this thing that we're doing is is going to be cool. Fuck yeah. Now, let's come into some Carcosa stuff because gotta fucking have a chat about this. So, as we were saying earlier, you and Andrew had already kind of 
brewed it up a little bit, obviously, in the background and thought about the process. Um, so how long had you been working on music before Absent came out? Because that came out around mid-2000. No, not 2000, sorry, 2020. Um, 2020, yeah. 2020. So how long had you guys been working on the music before it came out? Um, fuck, man. I wrote, I wrote Vanta Black originally for uh gp Hmm. about a year before we even thought about carcosa but like everybody in the band liked it but they're like this is way too heavy like this is a different thing like we need to maybe save this and do it for something else and that was like a you know a forethought that eventually Hmm. came so like yeah a lot of those songs were written like almost a full year before we even did it and um when we decided like as a group, you know, Cooper, Travis, Andrew, and I, we decided that we wanted to rebrand and change our sound. We all sat down and we're like, okay, well, GP is going to end. And we decided that like a year before the band was over. And then we were like, what do we want to sound like moving forward? And then we kind of all wrote down bands that we liked and what we wanted to sound like in like different subgenres. And then we all kind of agreed upon that and then decided to start writing right away. But the difference between Carcosa and the past material that we ever did is past material for GP, we all wrote separately. No, we never wrote in the same room. We never collaborated. It was always like, I had a song. I brought it to the group. It was already done. Everyone said yes or no. Same thing. That's what Cooper did as well. Um, Andrew did the same thing. So with Carcosa, we wanted to completely change that and kind of go outside of our comfort zone and write all the material together if we can help it. So like a plague was the first song we wrote mm. all together and we were pretty hyped on that. And we started to work in the flow and it made sense. And then we did our scars and then we did absent all together as well. I wrote Vanta black and I wrote uh, present the, the intro song, but everything else besides that was all collaborative, but we had done that over the year before ending GP. So by the time we ended GP, the EP had been done for months and we were ready to go like right away basically we just held on to it just a little bit longer it's quite interesting and it's also quite interesting because what was going on at the time in the world i mean you you're a band that had to basically create a buzz and a sense of yourself through smart i don't want to say marketing but smart social media presence smart music uh drops here and there you know the couple of singles before absent must have been Mm -hmm. quite a different you know gear you guys had to switch knowing you guys couldn't get out there and do a tour or do a weekend you know gigs are unavailable yeah yeah it was crazy because i mean obviously we didn't know there was going to be a global pandemic (laughs) like Mm. we were like uh and we also kind of fought whether it was a good idea to release music during the pandemic we're like are people oversaturated with music right now because they're sitting at home doing nothing or is this a good time and honestly a lot of it I think was luck like we definitely worked hard at what we did and like Bana and I already had like a social media presence so we kind of had a leg up in that sense and like I don't have a problem admitting that um but like yeah with like releasing the a plague how we did like on a a a separate YouTube channel Mm. like Slam Worldwide who already had like 200,000 subscribers that helped as well we didn't know it was going to do as well as it did we kind of just like we're like oh, i hope this does better than gp like fingers fucking crossed and then it kind of just did and we're like oh sick 
But like a lot of that too, I will always attribute to like Andrew, you know, ran a lot of the marketing and a lot of like the ideas for social media, like, okay, we're Carcosa, our brand is yellow and black, like yellow and black is everything that we do now. And we associated with that. And then Cooper was also really smart about doing merch drops instead of like, ordering a bunch of merch and having it sit in a warehouse and we make no money. We kind of created the demand off of doing limited drops. That's what Cooper came up with. And it started to work because we actually then started to make money, which we didn't make before. That was like a fucking brand new thing. We never (laughs) made money in GP, but like it kind of just all started happening in a really good way. And we used all of our past experiences and failures from other bands and learn from it and then implemented everything that we had learned in Carcosa. So it kind of just like all fell right. It was like a mixture of our hard work and knowledge and luck. I'd say it's like right down the middle, 50-50. Yeah, I think you guys are also showing, you know, the smarts of those mistakes and the smarts of adapting because as you said, you know, the branding really smart, social media presence really smart, the music is important. Yeah, if the music sucked, then like all that other shit's fucking pointless. Couldn't fucking matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Doesn't matter at all. Um, I think Slam Worldwide, I think you're underplaying how important that was. For for people mm-hmm. out my end of the world, very important. That opened our world to you guys existing because we don't right. get we don't get a lot of that shit over here. But when that platform mm-hmm. shows it, bang, this whole side of the world sees it. So that's important. Right. Um I think it's exciting that you guys clearly just out of nowhere just had your feet running on the ground before they even hit the ground. Um, And part of it that I think is also exciting is there wasn't a lot of music being released then. There really wasn't. I had many guests in 2020. I kept saying, you know, what's the thought behind releasing music or not? And people said they weren't thinking people were consuming. So suddenly, absent drops fever pitch give me the fucking music give me the fucking music so that was a very important move i think underplayed how important that was for sure but it was also a gamble on our end because we had no idea we didn't know like we didn't have any reference like you said nobody else was releasing anything Mm. so we're like fuck i hope this works and yeah luckily people just wanted it after that thankfully anyways it's a fucking jam of an ep too um but then the, the exciting thing um, is the reworking of those tracks uh, with, is it five new tracks or is it six new tracks? Uh, I think it's five. Five. So, yeah, there's an interlude track as well. Yep. So, yeah, I think it's five. Okay, and that's Anthology, which comes out August 19th. Um, it's an interesting thing how you were second-guessing and unsure in 2020 with Absent, and now mm-hmm. with the world starting to kind of bring shows back, were was there a counter worry of maybe the music would get lost in the shuffle because too many bands are releasing music yeah well i kind of think that might be if that was a problem that would be right now Hmm. where i think everyone's like oh shit well shows are coming back we better drop our record or we better do this and that but we kind of i don't want to say we have blinders on but we kind of just try to focus on what we're doing Mm -hmm. and like we have this material. We used to sit on stuff for way too long. We're not doing that anymore. Like we're going to do the singles route. We're going to drop the singles and then we're going to release all the music together and spread it out and create a demand and like stay relevant, stay in people's feeds. So they never forget about us. Right. 
So we just kind of ignored everything else that was happening and just kept doing our thing and like trying to get people hyped by if it wasn't music, Cooper was doing merch drops, keeping people into it, like with, you know, wanting to rep the brand and, you know, Bane and I sticking with content and like, you know, I do vocal live vocal videos for the songs or like lyrical breakdowns and Bane does guitar playthroughs, always staying on top of stuff, always staying constant. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We don't really, I don't want to say we feel worried about anything right now. We're just also kind of in unknown territory with what's happening in the world, especially like for a Canadian artist, like, and I know Australia's had some wild lockdown stuff as well, but like, you know, playing the States isn't really an option for us for a while still. Like Angel Maker, like we're doing Europe in January, but like we're still not doing North America for a bit because it's kind of unknown territory for Canadians specifically. American bands, yeah, y'all can do whatever the fuck you want. Your country's huge. You can tour your country and live off of that. We can't do that here. And we still can't play shows, really. Like, not the way that we would want to play shows. And um, touring Canada kind of sucks, man. It's a huge country. And it's like 22 hours in between provinces. It's not like America where you can, you know, it's four hours or less in between states. So that's just kind of how it is. We kind of just have to be patient and hope that the music speaks for itself and opportunities come from that. But that's the unknown territory that we are currently entering now. Yeah. Look uh, Aussie listeners and, you know, people like myself being an Aussie can sympathize with the Canadian thing because we have a thing in Australia where to get from a major city to the next major city is a 10 hour drive. Um, yeah. And there's nothing in between. And if there is something in between, only about 30 people will know what the fuck that music is. So, yeah. It's. Which is uh, to me crazy because, like, growing up and even now, there's so many Australian bands that I fucking love. And I feel like, like, the early deathcore scene and, like, the especially metalcore, like, I feel like all of the amazing metalcore bands come from your country. Yeah. It's we... just wild. We, we're a country that has had a very. I feel like we had a lovely period is a nice way of putting it, for a long time. But now, you know, as an old head, because, you know, I'm in my late 30s, I think now we've become too much trying to be America, where too many bands oh, yeah. too many bands now want to be genty or progressive, and then too many bands want to be emo, and there's not enough unique pushing of the envelope. Um, for which, sure. But, you know, that's just an old head saying that. Um, right. I want to come back to Anthology. Mm-hmm. You, you decided to get a few guest vocalists. Um, for this, yeah, just a few, just a few. That's fucking exciting. Um, yeah, I like it because you know, being at my age, I remember. Okay, this is an album that some listeners may or may not remember. I remember Soulfly Primitive, and Soulfly mm-hmm. Primitive came out. And the reason that album was so exciting to me was I was already a fan of the band, but then it had all these fucking guest vocalists on it. This yeah. is exciting. Like the music that Carcosa you guys do is exciting unto itself. But then seeing like. Kyle from Brand of Sacrifice on there. Taylor from uh, Left to Suffer. It's like, can't wait to fucking get this in my fucking ear holes. Yeah. Yeah. And like the, the, the main reason why we decided to do reduxes of the songs and have guest vocalists on it is because like we decided like we want to do a physical release of these, but we don't want to just like release two EPs at the same time, mm. you know, like do two separate things. Let's combine them. How do we make it interesting? Well, we got some pretty cool friends. Let's ask them to hop on our shit, like, and hopefully they <laughs> want to do it. And they did, which was great. Yeah, like, we're homies with the Left of Suffer guys. Taylor wanted to do it. I mean, I'm good friends with Ricky Hoover, and Hoover wanted to do it, which was awesome. Like, 
as a early, you know, MySpace deathcore kid, having Ricky Hoover on our EP is like fucking pinch me, man. I'm pumped. And then like, you know, having guys like Kyle and like, for me, a big one was Jake because I'm a massive uh, reflections fan. And I have been for a really long time. I remember seeing them when I was a kid and being so inspired by their music, especially the color clear. So getting Jake on there was like, I was like, once again, just super excited. And the fact that they wanted to do it was super sick as well. And like, yeah, getting Chad from Frontier was sweet because I think his feature is really unique. We just mm. released that yesterday. And uh, my girlfriend Charlie is on the record as well, which is great getting her in there because she's an amazing vocalist. And I think she really added the emotional weight to that last song. If you know what the whole record is about, it's just like, it's like gut wrenching, but like, it's like, um, like a bittersweet thing. It's like beautiful melancholy. Um, but yeah, I'm really glad we did it this way so that it's not just like a copy and paste of all the old stuff. Like our producer Ty did a little bit of a buff on the mix and made it a little bit better and then made it more cohesive with our new songs. So it's kind of basically like a full album. It's like a double EP album, if you want to call it that. Well, I think it's also exciting. You guys must feel excited seeing the kind of overwhelming positive reaction and response that these, you know, singles are having. It, I haven't heard anyone, you know, maybe because I only have two people I know, but I don't I haven't heard anyone say anything negative about it. I'm seeing nothing but positive things. I'm seeing it spread around a lot. It's got to be exciting for you guys that coming into this release, there is this reaction and who knows what the prospects are going forward i don't know man like i said unknown territory we're kind of just like throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks for the most part you know and yeah the positive response is um is kind of new to us as well because of you know gp and how you know up and down that experience was and personally i really didn't like being a part of the gent community because i found it really toxic and it was all about like, oh, if you don't play this gear, you suck. Or like, if you don't do these technical breakdowns with these time signatures, you're not a real band. And I hated that. It drove me nuts. And I feel like being finally being a part of the deathcore scene in Carcosa and Angel Maker, it feels like an actual community of people who like, they're not focused on instrumentalists or like any of that. They just want to hear crazy fucking music that they can beat each other up to. Like, that's what they want. And that to me is like night and day difference between those two communities and i feel like that's like a part of why we're getting such a positive response is like they're willing to accept new bands and hear different kinds of you know music within our little niche and uh it's awesome man like all of us are super excited that people actually like what we do now <laughs> like i said it's completely different from back in the day so we definitely feel very blessed for that i think it is important the sense of community is part of why i got into heavy music to start with and had it has something over time that certain sectors and genres become a little bit elitist but i do mm. know the deathcore community isn't because as you said they support the new bands they back bands you know unless you really fuck up and throw in kill switch cleans or something you're going to be supported uh, and loved yeah. and backed and yeah. it definitely helps like i said and i've said it probably up 482 times the Carcosa music fucking slams. So that fucking helps. Um, Thank you. <laughs> one of the last things I wanted to talk about before we look to wrap things up is... Sure. My wife doesn't like heavy music, right? She's not really a fan. But cool. there was something, as a lot of, some people may or may not know, that you, you popped up on my Facebook because she tagged me in something. It's you and Andrew doing the breakdown 
uh, call-outs. Oh, the breakdown call-outs, yeah. Um, now, the interesting thing for me when that hit was I was like, I recognise, yeah, okay. And I hadn't seen it and I went went into YouTube. That's actually like close to a year old. I think it's like nine or ten months old. And suddenly yeah. now it's making the rounds on social media. It's crazy. It's TikTok, man. Like, I don't know if you're on TikTok, and no. I 100% get it if you're not. Because, like, f- from the outside looking in, it looks like the worst possible app in the history of the world. Just, like, cringe city wherever you go. But it's also a super good uti- like tool to utilize for social media, which is what Andrew and I discovered. And, yeah, Andrew and I were doing those breakdown callouts. We've done them for literally two years on YouTube. And yeah, some of them did okay, like 50,000 views here and there. But for the most part, nah, people didn't really give a fuck. They were just like, whatever, this is funny, I guess. And Andrew and I enjoyed doing them. Um, but Andrew started re-uploading the breakdown callouts to TikTok once he got it. And like the first one he did got a million views right off the bat. And I think that format works out really well for short content where, you know, TikTok videos are 60 seconds long and, like, that's the attention span we get you for. The younger generation of kids, which I'm not even old, but the younger generation of kids, that's their attention span. And if we can grab them for that amount of time, we got them. And the benefit of TikTok really has been, like, people who would never listen to our music ever are now forced to, and then they either discover they love it or they hate it. But, like, we've literally seen direct correlations between TikTok and our Spotify numbers for, for Carcosa, where there's huge spikes when we do videos that do really well. Because people are like, I've never heard this music before. Do you guys have a band? And we're like, yeah, it's Carcosa. And then it just keeps working and working from there. So, really, that was also a luck thing because we're like, I don't know, hopefully this works. And it just, like, was perfect for that, for that app. And, uh, yeah, I mean... Andrew and I are still doing them because they still do well and we'll stop when they're not, but they are still doing well. Whether people think it's cringy or not, we're utilizing an app for other things besides just like being idiots on the internet because we're seeing it actually cross over to our actual band. Well, nuts. I, I love them. And, you know, I love it because, you know, my wife saw it, like I said, and she thought it was hilarious because she's like, this is something you would do, Jeremy. And here you go. Yeah. Have a look. But it, I also love, because then I was looking at, you know, I don't use TikTok, but, you know, I have listeners of the show that tag the Mosh Zone on TikTok, which I thought was yeah. crazy unto itself. You guys are very smart, and you you need to give yourselves a pat in the back. And, you know, I think anyone young who's in a band or looking to be in a band, you need to be welcome to be adaptive, creative, think outside the box, do like Johnny and Andrew do and the boys, and just, you know, don't be set in your ways. It's basically the way of doing things. Like, Open your mind. Exactly. New things are new. Things are scary, but you just got to do it. You exactly. Know? Um, but I, I really appreciate that. That's very very kind of you to say. Oh, I mean it, man. Um, Aussies, we're very blunt and honest. So I mean, if if I, if I thought it was shit, I would have probably already told you. But I've, I've told you Perfect. I liked it. So um, <laughs> I love it. Now, Johnny, we finish the same way for everyone. So as a Nearly four years of this, um, four years worth of guests have had this same segment. Now, I'll show you the piece of paper. It's really old. It's tattered. It's drawn on. Um, it's, called, it's called Pick Your Poison. Now, mm. what I do here is we're going to find what makes you tick. I'm going to give <laughs> you 
two options. You must pick your favorite of the two. Now, you do not need to justify your answer, but if you're worried that someone is going to hear that answer and wonder why it wasn't justified, you can justify that answer. Okay? Okay. Yeah, cool. Okay. Uh, Pizza or burger? Pizza. Ooh. I'm Italian. I have to. Uh, Ribs or brisket? Ooh. Brisket. I don't like the big old bones. Okay. Chicken or beef? Uh, probably chicken. Okay. Chinese takeaway or Indian takeaway? Indian. Huge Indian scene in, in Canada. I love butter chicken or Ooh. tikka masala. I'm all about it. Ooh. Yeah. We, okay. Well, yeah. which one? Tikka masala or butter chicken? Uh, tikka masala because it's more tomato base, okay. not so much cream, and it won't make me explode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Because you're Italian, you get this one. Um, risotto or pasta? Uh, pasta, mm. straight up. Yeah. What about a beer or a whiskey? I'm a beer guy. I uh, I don't really uh, mess with hard that much. Mm-hmm. I am drinking soju right now. Ooh. But uh, definitely a a beer guy. Okay. Uh, smooth peanut butter or crunchy peanut butter? Smooth. Okay. Thank you. Thank Fuck those nuts. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Like listeners will know this. You are a fucking satanist savage if you put that brutal lumpy shit on your bread and rip it apart what's that bread done to you you don't need to abuse it yeah. before you eat it like, fuck that do you do you guys um do you like organic peanut butter or just like i don't know what your equivalent would be we have craft here i don't know if craft is in australia or not no we've got something similar like it's kind yeah. of the aussie version of yeah yeah but i, I mean yeah. i'm i don't eat peanut butter often but i prefer the organic if i do right question for you quickly do you like vegemite yeah love it yeah. Have you yeah. tried it? I've never had it, but no, I, I'm i a big anti-Donna fan. Like, I listen to anti-Donna a lot, and they always talk about Vegemite, and it's very interesting to me, but I've never had it before. It is, um, yeah, so in our household, we've got quite a divide because the wife's English, so she loves Marmite. And right. I love Vegemite, and she says Vegemite's the watered-down version. But right. I think Vegemite's more harsh. And Vegemite is the only product I know where you can't spread too much on your product. Like, you can't put too much on that toast. Otherwise, you fuck it. Like, peanut butter, you can. You can just go heavy. It doesn't matter. Okay, do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, Coffee or tea? I drink coffee all day. Mm -hmm. I love tea. I love it. But I'm definitely a coffee guy at heart. Okay. Um, Milk chocolate or white chocolate? I, I really like Hershey's Cookies and Cream, mm-hmm. which is like a white chocolate or white chocolate doesn't actually exist. It's a confectionate or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I would probably say my go-to is just milk chocolate or anything. Nice. Um, donuts or marshmallows? Donuts. Yeah. I, I don't really like marshmallows. It's kind of weird texture-wise. I find, I'm finding really strange. At my work, I look after a client who loves them, and every time I touch him or whatever it weirds me out man something about him doesn't seem natural no. for some reason i'm just like nah i don't want to put that in my mouth um coke or pepsi pepsi okay i find pepsi way more refreshing than coke hmm. yeah it's personally right. um you're gonna get given your last ever meal do you want to have it at home or out at a restaurant um 
probably at home if I get to choose who makes it. Like if I get my mom to make me some chicken parmigiana, like I'm getting my mom to make me chicken parmigiana at my house. I don't want to go somewhere else. Um, what about a new movie comes out? You're going to see it at the cinema if you can go to the cinema, or are you going to watch it on the couch at home? Um, I would prefer to see it as it's meant to be seen, which would be, in my opinion, at the theater, depending on what it is. Like, especially like if it's a Tarantino film, I feel like that has to be seen in a movie theater. So probably a theater. Okay. Um, now this one will be interesting because, you know, you live in Canada, but would you rather spend the day at the beach or spend the day at the snow? See, where I grew up in Penticton, we were right in between two lakes. So we were a summer town, like it's classified as a desert. So I really like the beach. The beach is awesome. Um, but I like being cold more than I like being hot. Mm. So I'm going to go ahead and say snow. It is, it is easier to warm up than cool down. So I'll give you that. Fucking right. I'm feeling it right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, PlayStation or Xbox? Uh, I currently have an Xbox One, so I'll say that. But I grew up playing PS2, so I'm kind of like... In between. I'm not in that console war, but yeah, we'll say Xbox for now. Okay. Um, are you a cat or a dog person? Cat. Okay. Always grew up with cats. Never had a dog. Terminator series or Predator series? Oh, fuck, both are really good. I would say what I've seen more is Terminator than than the Predator series. Okay. So probably Terminator. Rambo or Rocky? Ooh. Uh, Rocky because I've seen a lot of them. Fun fact, though, if you just want it, Rambo was shot in a town that's about two hours away from us. It's called Hope. It's a small little butthole on your way into the interior of BC. That's where it was shot. As in First Blood? Yeah. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, a little Canadian cinema trivia for you. Fuck yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. James Bond or Jason Bourne? James Bond. All about it. Yeah, uh, Jason Bourne's fucking funny to me, but yeah, James Bond for sure. I do. I think I think there's something wrong with um, Jason Bourne. He, you know, you couldn't go. I've said this a few times before. You couldn't go to like McDonald's and have a fucking meal because he'd be sitting there going, "They're listening. They're watching." Like, dude, just fucking chill out, man. Relax. Have your Big Mac. Relax. I like the vibe of 007 way more, way more. Especially like growing up playing like Goldeneye and stuff. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just prefer it. I prefer it. Um, Freddie or Jason? Um, probably Jason. I have, I have a hand tattoo of mm -hmm. a, a Montreal Canadiens goaltender named Jacques Plant. Everybody thinks it's Jason. Jason. <laughs> Always. They're like, is that fucking Jason? I'm like, no, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, but I do like Jason more cause he's got a goalie mask and it's cool and he's brutal. He is. Um, yeah. Lord of the Rings or Game of Thrones? I have never watched a single episode of Game of Thrones. So. I've only watched two, and that shows you how much it grabbed my attention. So It's one of those things where people tell you to watch it so much that I don't want to watch it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's too much. Hmm. I think the next one is the same for me. Like, And, you know, I think they're, they're both good in their own right, but I have the same with it, and it's Star Wars or Star Trek. The amount of people... Star Wars. I have too many people that are so obsessed with Star Wars, they won't stop telling me how good Star Wars is. And because of that, I don't think it's that good. I think it's okay. So, right. Like, that yeah. is where you and I differ then. Because, like, <laughs> behind me is all Star Wars. Is that all Funko Star Pop. Wars? 
Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm a diehard die Star Wars guy. Diehard. Well, shout out to my mate Burroughs um, down in southern Melbourne. He's such a diehard Star Wars fan that he's got three mannequins, and it's uh, Star Trooper, life-size, Darth Vader, life-size, and I think Boba, um, life-size. Like, in his living room, like, next to his TV. So Yeah, dude. Yeah. If there's three things that, like, encompass my life, it's music, hockey, and Star Wars. Nice. Those are the three things that keep me keep me pumping, and my girlfriend, obviously. Yeah, well, but Star Wars is fucking in there. Like it's my, my obsession. I'm way too obsessed with stuff that doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> I know Same. the feeling. I know the feeling. Yeah. I've got the same problems, and my wife keeps telling me why have I got all this shit when it's not worth anything. But to me, it is. Like it's worth a lot. To me, it is as well, man. Mm. Um. Okay, now we've got the music ones, which is the final segment. Slayer mm -hmm. or Pantera? Fuck, I was just talking about Slayer yesterday too, and how much I love like South of Heaven and Rain and Blood. But I would probably say Pantera for like inspiration in terms of writing. Definitely Pantera. Cannibal Corpse or Black Dahlia Murder? Oh man, this is, this is a fucking hard question. Probably Cannibal Corpse. The guys in in Angel Maker are gonna kill me for that, but yeah, probably Cannibal Corpse. Uh, Metallica or Megadeth? Metallica. I fucking hate Megadeth. Yeah, I know. Fuck you, Dave. Um, I hate him. He, I, I think one or two people have chosen Megadeth out of 170 odd guests. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, R Rust in Peace, awesome record. I don't like anything else. I don't like, I have a hard time separating Dave from that band. I don't like Dave. Yeah, well, I mean, what, it was around the time the pandemic was starting or just before it started, do you know that he had the VIP camping package where you could go and camp in his backyard? I was like, that is when I know I don't like Dave even more. What? Yeah, I don't know. <sighs> Not about it. There's some other things about him I don't really like, but... I think he's yeah, just too, he's too upset, you know, fucking... He's just a grumpy fucking guy. I don't know, I don't like him. Yeah. No. Uh, what about, based off their first releases... Would you rather fuck with Suicide or fuck with Whitechapel? Like Suicide Silence or Whitechapel? Mm -hmm. um, probably Whitechapel for me just because somatic defilement was like what got me into it. I love uh, uh, The Cleansing, mm. obviously. And even the EP before, which had all those you know songs on it, like was great. But yeah, definitely uh, somatic defilement, Whitechapel for sure. Can't effects or all shall perish. Fuck. <laughs> Man, All Shall Perish is like the most OG deathcore that exists. Mm -hmm. So it's hard to pick against them, but I did listen to a ton of Carnifex growing up, like a ton, and I still do. I still listen to both, but Carnifex is still killing it. They're still doing it. Oh, they're still fucking brutal at what they do. Um, yeah. Marilyn Manson or Rob Zombie? Hmm. I'm going to go ahead and say Rob Zombie um, for a few reasons. One, Marilyn Manson is fucking up right now. <laughs> Not necessarily a popular choice anyways. Um, but, yeah, I think Rob Zombie is, like, a more um, multifaceted artist mm -hmm. in terms of, like, film and music. So I'll go with, with Rob. Okay, now we've got four left. Now, this one is Imagine Shows Are Back. There's no limitations. There's no barrier. Anything goes. Yep. Would you yep. rather stage dives happening or mic grabs happening at your show? Oh, mic grabs. Yeah, especially if people, like, are, 
really attached to what I've written and they feel like screaming it will help their situation, mm. mic grabs. Stage mm. dives are cool, but they're also more dangerous, so mic grabs. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, yeah. You're going to go to a show. Are you going to watch it from the center of the pit or by the sound desk up the back? I feel like this is an answer that changes as you get older. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also depends who it is for me. If I'm seeing the Acacia Strain and they're playing like the Wormwood era of their music, I'm going in the pit mm-hmm. the whole time. If it's a band like the Contortionist or Tesseract, I'm going to stand at the back. Mm-hmm. Good answer. So, yeah, kind of hard to say. Uh, that's a good answer. Now, this next one, they they need each other to coexist, but let's imagine they exist in their own right, and you have to do one or the other for the rest of your life. Would you rather okay. tour for the rest of your life or just record music for the rest of your life? Oh, probably, probably record music. I feel like there's, uh, as much as it would be fun to travel the world, I do like being at home as well so and like i feel like i could just create music forever and do wild shit it's a lot harder to write on the road than it is at home Mm. so yeah probably just write and record last one the only triple one i'm going to give you your all-time favorite album the way i give it to you is the only way you can listen to it do you want it on Mm. cd vinyl or on your phone um on my phone for sure um, I think that's just the way I've grown up listening to music. I didn't grow up with a record player. Yeah, sure, CDs. But, like, I always bought iPods. Mm-hmm. Like, I still have my original iPod Classic mm-hmm. that has, like, all of my old music on it that I wrote and then just, like, a bunch of other shit. And I just, I have AirPods and I listen to podcasts and music all the time. So definitely on my phone for sure. And then I can, like, move I can move around and go places. I don't have a Walkman anymore. Like... <laughs> I love it, man. I, you know, I remember when I used to have to have a Discman and I hated it because I was limited to how many songs I could listen to or what artists I could listen to. I've still got my um, iPod Classic. uh, I think it's a 360 gig or something. Um, Yeah. Loved it. The moment that shit came out, I'm the same, man, on the phone, the convenience. Yeah. It's Why not? Plus, man, I like getting in the car, connecting Spotify, picking what I want, making a playlist rather than go, okay, I'm stuck with this CD that's been in the car for seven years. Like, Yeah. And then if you burn CDs, this happened in my mom's car, but if you burn CDs and put them in the CD player, it fucks it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, even if you want to try and listen to other stuff, you can't. No. You know? So yeah, I have a giant playlist of music as well. I just cycle through that all the time and it's way better, man. And you can like go outside and look at shit and then experience stuff in your ears. Like, come on, it's way better, I think. Yeah, showing how weird or how diverse I am, I've got a playlist for each style of music. Um, so mm. I've, I've got 10 different playlists. So I've got my deathcore list, my death metal list, my metalcore, my hardcore, my punk, my classic bangers. And depending what mood yeah. I'm in, that's what hits shuffle. I love it. Perfect. I have all of mine in one. So I have like a playlist with like fucking 6,000 songs that are like, you know, we go from Charlie Parker to Cannibal Corpse and then (laughs) The Midnight and a bunch of shit. It's just like a blend of stuff. Love it. If you're looking for a deathcore playlist and you want like OG stuff, check out um, Mike from Angel Maker has one. He is the, I call him the, uh, the, the deathcore historian Mm. because he knows everything. So he has a playlist called Deathcore FM, mm-hmm. 
Uh, highly recommend checking that out. He also has other deathcore playlists that are uh, split up by year. So 06, 07, 08. Ooh. So all of those deathcore releases from then. So if you're ever looking to get into old stuff, that's that's where I recommend you go. Fuck yeah, I'll have to, have to deep dive into that. Um, yeah. Johnny, first thing, thank you for your time, your energy, um, and for being yourself. I've got a lot of love, I've got a lot of respect, and I've got a lot of appreciation for, for you um, and mm-hmm. for you giving me your time. This has been, you know, amazing. Free-flowing, which is exactly what I wanted. Uh, fun, which is what I wanted. And just you brought your A-game, and I really appreciate it. Fuck yeah, dude! Thank you so much. I uh, like we we've done a lot of interviews over the past few years, and like having people like yourself that are educated and know good questions to ask, and it makes my you know answers easier to answer when the questions are great. So, and I really enjoyed this format, man. This is awesome. Uh, so, thank you very much. No, thank you, man. But look, you, um, whenever, if ever, you get to fuck at Australia, um, mm-hmm. I'll take you out for a little bit of. Uh, Maybe brisket. How's that sound? Let's do it. Dude, I, I really hope we get to come to Australia one day. It's literally like my number one place to go. Dude, I think you guys would, you know, we have got one of the godfathers of the style in Thy Art. And mm-hmm. Thy Art are the kind of band that you guys would easily adapt to their, you know, tour, which is obvious, I know. But Thy yeah. Art are the kind of band that will bring out, you know, international bands to us who we don't get the chance to see. Like I remember I got yeah. to see Oceano because they uh, brought him down, you know, things like that. So dude, yeah. the way you guys are going, I wouldn't be surprised that we'll, if borders open up, you'll be here very soon. Dude, fingers crossed. If it's, if it doesn't end up being Carcosa or it takes a, a bit longer for us to get over there, Angel Maker will definitely be there. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, oh, that, that, uh, the fact you're in that band, I still am like, wow. Because yeah, like I said, I'm, earlier i i paid i think all up it was like 60 dollars australian to get that fucking ep it was just an for example. for decay like yeah. before dissentient wow yeah. crazy man i'll Be- let the guys know they'll think that's nuts <clears throat> because the reason is is the australian currency converter is bad unto itself so mm. you the conversion wasn't well in American dollars, it wasn't that bad. I think it was like 30, yeah. or 30 bucks or something with postage. But then you convert yeah. it into Australian dollars and it was like 72 bucks. And you're like, well, that, that's Dude, why my we wife... we take the hit here too. Well, that's why my wife says I buy random shit that's not worth anything. Because I spend 70 bucks on the fucking Deathcore EP. Like, yeah well dude i fuck i bought a, a north lane like embroidered hoodie mm-hmm. back in the day and it cost me like 90 fucking dollars mm-hmm. so much and like even the anti-donna stuff i bought too it's just like crazy <laughs> but i don't give a shit i'm gonna buy it so yeah that was the same yeah yeah but yeah i want to come to your country really bad so i hope that we hope that we get to yeah we will and um but look you mate can't sing your praises enough the music is sexy and slamming you're an amazing guest um this is this has been sick man i really appreciate you thank you dude fuck yeah thank you so much i really appreciate it all right you have you have a good rest of your day and enjoy the sweating heat i will try my best (laughs) (laughs) um thank you brother and um have a great rest of your day dude you as well thank you so much all right ciao see ya
So that was my chat with Johnny of Carcosa and also of Angel Maker. And at the end there, the first track you heard was from Carcosa titled A Plague. The second track you heard was called Our Scars. And both of those tracks come from the band's debut EP titled Absent. Now's the part of the show where I spark that thing inside you to support the band that's been on the show. So if you've enjoyed the music or you enjoyed the conversation, now's your chance. Jump online, consume the fuck out of that music. If you're into physicals, make sure you get online and get yourself a vinyl or a CD. And lastly, if you want a bit of merch, make sure you get yourself a shirt, a hoodie or some shorts. Whatever you got to do, support Johnny and Carcosa. Now, before I forget, I need to thank Johnny again. Thank you so very, very, very much, dude, for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. I'll stay in touch. Let's do a part two again soon. And that's it. That's the Mosh Zone episode 171. Done, dusted, all wrapped up, locked away for this week. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget... You can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.